in the slums of Shaolin. Golden claw talent, twirling one swirl of the fate who swore, split your island. Ruth Killer B, Stinger back on the swarm again. The alarm again, shakes direction, weapon deflecting, blows connect like opposite sides of magnets. Still fragments being chipped off for slinging sports last. With the force of being crashed in your dad's board. With no airbag, you drove a 99 Jaguar. Quick to pick a lot, lick a shot. Respect the bloods and crips a lot. Plus the guard from wide sagging in the seat. Blasting moon beats. Trying to plot his next hit. He took a drag off the eight elements that composed at McFerry Gas. About to let off this sword in full blast. Kept his mind focused, meditating, position half lotus. Avid sport novas couldn't match his magnum opus. Deluxe stroke. Sun moved like a ghost. Struck in an instance, unnoticed like a lamppost Radar shot precision, gunfire Explode to his clips unload It's the Samurai Code Welcome back to episode 64 of the Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn Podcast I'm your host, Miguel Today in the podcast, uh, we have a topic I've been meaning to cover since basically episode 1 or 2 Like from the beginning And it addresses vaccines And the weaponization of vaccines and how it's destroying our, our youth and our children, which is the most precious thing that we have. Besides our parents and you know, our children, you know, number one. So what's happening right now is um, these vaccines are being administered to children at a very young age. As a matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, some vaccines, HPV, I think is issued the, the day of birth. And that's for some uh, sexually transmitted diseases to a newborn baby on the first day of birth. Give me a break. Um, the, the other one that's really bad is the MMR, which is the measles, mumps, and rubella, which I believe is given to them within the first three months. And it's given, given in one shot, and it's causing uh, exponential growth in uh, autism. And I don't know the exact numbers, but my understanding is... 10 or 15 years ago, 1 in 10,000 kids had autism, and I think it's now 1 in 80 or 1 in 90 have it. And personally, a good number of friends that I have have children that are somewhat um, vaccine damaged. You know, they're very hyperactive, very, can't concentrate, and you just see it. You know, I don't want to get into too much detail, but it's, it's, it's really crushing. Um, I am aware of, uh, of what this is doing, but I don't have the technical, you know, medical, biological data and, and references and such. So I'm going to put a speaker on. His name is Del Bigtree, and he's the author of the movie Vaxxed. That's his movie Vaxxed, where an inside CDC, uh, I think the guy that ran the CDC, you know, he, he kept making excuses for the vaccines and saying, hey, they're fine. And I think finally he received so many phone calls and so much information and feedback that it was damaging children that he just his conscience couldn't take it anymore. And he opened up and kind of, I guess, collaborated to help with the movie Vax. I might be a little off on my details, but pretty much that's how it went. And if I'm not mistaken, in the movie Vax, he, you know, he speaks and, and, and explains, you know, what, what transpired as far as his changing of his mind and, you know, the way the way he switched up and, and, and went anti-vaccine. Again, I might be slightly off, but you, you got to watch the movie Vaxxed. It's a tremendous movie, especially if you have kids or convey it over to people that do have kids. You really need to avoid these vaccines. I think they're getting over 70 vaccines, but I'm rambling. The the This uh, audio is really exceptional, 
and it lends itself to audio because you can, you know, just listen to it. And there are charts. It's on YouTube. If you type in um, Dell Big Tree and vaccines, it came out this year, 2018. It's on YouTube. It's an hour and a half. I highly recommend you listen to it, whether or not you have kids. Just listen to it and spread the information because that that's our most precious treasures, our children, our babies, and they're being really damaged and destroyed. Some some really really horrendous facts. Uh, from what I saw, it's one in six children are directly damaged in th these days, and 54% of children um, have chronic illnesses as a result of vaccines like a ADD and ADHD and just a whole plethora of different autoimmune um, diseases where, where the body fights itself. When the, when, when the child gets the vaccine, the whole purpose of a vaccine, as you know, is to... to to introduce like a very slight um, dosage of the disease so that your body recognizes it and is able to defend against it but it's triggering you know the, the immune system to fight against all types of things and fight against the body itself which is where the problem is beginning so i'm gonna stop speaking right now um i'm just gonna you know come in at the end and give my uh exit introduction or my exit you know whatever and exit details and contact information and such if you have ideas or feedback, commentary. So uh, I spoke enough, and let's get into this. Thank you all for being here. Um, last time I was here, I had just made the film back. It was out. We were talking about the fraud at the CDC. And for those of you that have not seen Vax, very simply... I was a producer on the daytime talks to the doctors where I worked for six years. I won an Emmy Award celebrating the best that medicine has to offer, best doctors, best scientists, cutting-edge technologies. I am a fan of doctors. I'm a fan of science, um, and I want to state that right up front. I ran into the story of Dr. William Thompson, the CDC whistleblower, who came forward in 2015 and said they'd committed scientific fraud on the MMR autism study that they saw a connection between the MMR vaccine and autism, and they hid it from the public. That's essentially what the film is about. If you haven't seen it, it's extremely compelling. I think it's going, this story is up there with Watergate or any other government cover-up, only this time children are in harm's way. Uh, what I'm going to present to you today is really where I've been since then. You know, when I would travel the country with Vax, we, we got a big bus that said Vax on the side of it, and. We were interviewing parents of, of vaccine-injured children all across America, and they're everywhere, filling up theaters everywhere we went. Um, and, but the question that kept coming to me was always, is it just the MMR vaccine, Dell? Is it because the film is very specifically about the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine? And I didn't really have an answer to that. I, I could say that anecdotally, more parents came up to the bus and claimed that their child got autism from the DTaP vaccine than actually said the MMR vaccine, which our film was about. They would always say, you know, we never got the MMR vaccine. Our child got autism after DTaP. So that, you know, as a medical journalist, and since I was already deep in this and probably destroyed my television career anyway, I figured I'm just going to keep investigating vaccine safety and that's what i've done i think i don't know that any other journalist uh has ever spent as much focused energy and time on looking at vaccine safety than me i'm three years in now it's all i look at it's all i study i'm not alone i work with brilliant people like robert kennedy jr lynn redwood of the world mercury project mark blacksell 
Um, just the list goes on and on of, of you know, the, the, the great minds, scientists, doctors, lawyers that are all investigating this. Um, so that's the information I'm going to present to you today. In fact, what you're about to see today is a presentation that we gave at the National Institute of Health. Uh, many of you may have remembered Donald Trump made a statement that he was going to put Robert Kennedy Jr. as the head of a vaccine safety commission. Um, that didn't necessarily transpire the way that we had thought, but this meeting was set up by Donald Trump, and we got to present before uh, Francis Collins, the head of National Institute of Health, Tony Fauci, head of our Infectious Disease Division of CDC, FDA, HHS, all of the, really the heads of our health departments were sitting across the table. This is what we presented to them. So I want you to think about that. I'm not just telling you, we said this right to their faces. And I'll let give you a sense of what their response was. So I'm not trying to make something up. We've presented our issues with this vaccine program, and the, the answers are really deplorable. But to get started, why am I here? <clears throat> I wouldn't be here if we had the healthiest kids in the world. I don't think that there would be any argument. People say you're crazy to argue vaccines have made us so healthy. Really? Look at this headline. This was out of 2000, this happened in 2013. U.S. has highest first day infant mortality out of industrialized world group reports. In fact, it went on to say, we have more babies die on the first day of life in the United States of America. We have 50% more die on the first day of life than every other industrialized nation combined. Combined. We cannot keep a day one old baby alive. Think about that. How does that make any sense? Do we not have the best doctors in the world? Do we not have the best hospitals in the world? Something's wrong if you're like, well, that's 2013. No one's ever really said the stats gotten better. And then this came out just three weeks ago. American kids are 70% more likely to die before adulthood than kids in other rich countries. The opening sentence, a new study ranks 20 wealthy countries on childhood deaths. The U.S. comes in last. There are 20 countries that have as much money or less than we do and their children are healthier and not dying at 70, look at that, 70% more likely to die. I mean, it makes no sense. So I always say, I'm not a doctor, I'm just a journalist. I investigate things that don't make sense to me, and then I get into it. How is this possible? If vaccines have made us so healthy, why are our children dying? And people say, well, how do you know it's vaccines that are the problem? Maybe it's food, maybe it's water, maybe it's air, okay. We could talk about that too, and sure, I'm sure people here at this conference will be talking about that. But the problem is, is why isn't our news talking about these numbers? If it is food, why isn't Sanjay Gupta talking about it? If it is water, why isn't, you know, Rachel Maddow complaining about it? Why is no one talking about the fact that our children are dying at alarming rates in what is supposed to be the most advanced, greatest country on earth? All right, let me start with, this is how the program started at National Institute of Health. This is a study that was done last year, 2017, it came out. One of the big arguments we make about determining whether vaccines are causing the issues we see in society or not is the vax versus unvax study. We feel like if you just took the databases we are sitting on at the, our National Institutes of Health and CDC and ran all of the unvaccinated children against the vaccinated children and say, what are the health outcomes? Is there higher rates of cancer than the vaccinated? Is there higher autism? Is there higher multiple sclerosis? The list goes on and on. It's the simplest study known to man. 
Well, they have refused to do that for decades, but this guy, Peter Aave, is a doctor who is the head of our vaccine program in third world countries. I don't know if he's the head, but he's deeply involved, has been vaccinating third world nations for decades. He decided just this year to look back 30 years at a DTP program, the diphtheria tetanus pertussis vaccine. The reason being, he was looking through the, the numbers and saw that because of the way that they had rolled out that vaccine program for kids three to six months old, they were so specific about the age and then the towns that they could get to and how they could get to them that he said, oh my God, I have a perfect control study. I have half the children three to six months old got the DTP vaccine in Guinea-Bissau, Africa, and half did not. And I can compare these two groups. Well, what he discovered when he compared them was DTP was associated with a five-fold higher mortality than being unvaccinated. All currently available evidence suggests that DTP vaccine may kill more children from other causes than it saves from diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis, meaning the deaths were not, they were not tetanus, they were not diphtheria or pertussis, they were dying of other things. Malaria, dysentery, things that they would normally be able to fight off. And the conclusion was, perhaps this vaccine is, is efficacious when it comes to diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis, but it's hurting the immune system to fight off other issues. In fact, the numbers got worse. It was five-fold when they got the oral polio at the same time. When they just got diphtheria by itself, DTP by itself, 10 times the rate of death. 10 times the rate of death. That's murder, really, accidental murder. Now, I want to remind you that this vaccine we used to use in America, but we've discontinued it. We now use DTaP because there were so many lawsuits against the pharmaceutical industry for the whole cell pertussis, the DTP vaccine. We switched over in the 90s. And so, we don't use this vaccine anymore, but we use it all over the third world. Our question to the National Institute of Health after showing this is this. Had we not looked back 30 years, we wouldn't know that this vaccine is killing children. Our concern is that in America, we are giving 72 vaccines, 16 different vaccines over 72 doses to be specific, to our children by the time they're 18. What surveillance system is in place to capture if one of our vaccines is destroying immune systems like this one apparently is? Or the combination of our vaccines? Do, are our health institutions really monitoring how vaccines are working in society or not? That's our question. And what we pointed out, we said to them right up front, I think you're going to be alarmed to find that the conflicts of interest and the type of science being done leaves us with a really terrifying notion that we have nothing in place to see if this isn't happening in America. All right. Now, these are just a short list of vaccine adverse events that we essentially admit to on one way or another. Vaccine court has paid out for Guillain-Barre syndrome and transverse myelitis, which are both paralytic diseases. We say we've eradicated polio. Those used to be considered polio, by the way, until we got better diagnosis. So that can paralyze you. Encephalopathy, seizure disorders, chronic inflammatory, demyelinating diseases, rheumatoid arthritis. And then below, this is the list of vaccine insert side effects. So this is on the insert wrapped around the vaccine itself. Things like rheumatoid arthritis, ticks, speech delays. You know, this is just, we just sort of went for the, 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 the smallest, most effective versions of this. But the list goes on and on and on. Okay, here's where we're at in America. One in six children now has a developmental disability, ADD, ADHD, autism, hearing loss, 
mental disabilities, seizures, stammering. It's a terrible number that is not the way it was when we were kids. And look at this, 54% of children in America now have a chronic illness, either an autoimmune disease or a neurological disorder, anxiety problems, asthma, bone and muscle disorders, chronic ear infections, diabetes. You've seen it. I'm not making this up. If you're taking your kid to school or if you're a teacher that's been teaching for the last 20 or 30 years, you've watched the health of your children in school just plummet through the floor. ADD, ADHD, one in four kids in our school system is going to leave school on a drug they'll be on the rest of their lives. Okay, these, this is alarming. So what is an autoimmune disease, since that seems to be what's running rampant? 54% of children essentially have an autoimmune disease, a disease revolting from a disordered immune reaction in which antibodies are produced against one's own tissues, has systemic lupus, erythematosis or rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, even asthma, the list goes on and on of autoimmune disease. Why would our bodies be attacking themselves all of a sudden? Why, didn't, why wasn't this the case when you talk to grandma and grandpa, like, I had never heard of such a thing? Why now does one in two kids have their bodies attacking themselves? Now, again, people will say, well, Dell, it could be water, it could be air, it could be food, it could be vaccines, it could be a combination of all these things. Sure. But I want to say this. If what's happening is our, our immune system is confused and attacking our own cells, wouldn't it be wise to really investigate the one product that is designed to alter your immune system for life? That's what you do when you take a vaccine. You're trying to trick your body into thinking it's had a disease. Is it really that outrageous to think that somewhere in tricking your body to think it's had a disease that did not come fully in contact with, it gets confused and starts fighting the wrong parts of your body. It's a very layman's perspective, and doctors will say, well, that's preposterous. Really? Is it preposterous? Certainly. It should have enough logic to it that we investigate it deeply and thoroughly over all other things when we're talking about autoimmune disease. Here's the numbers. In 1986, we got 11 vaccines. Then we passed the 1986 Compensation Act, and we went to 53 vaccines now, and as I said, 72 doses. But look at this. Same time, 12.8% chronic illness, developmental disabilities in 1986, 54% now in 2017. Now, yes, it's an anecdotal, but those are coterminous. They run exactly right next to each other when we look at the health outcomes of our children. And yet we still want to use, listen to news anchors that say it really isn't vaccines or our doctors always say it isn't vaccines. My question is, how did you prove that? How do you know for sure it's not vaccines? Okay, well, who is responsible for vaccine safety? This is where this issue begins. Any other product, if your airbag fails, we watch Toyota recall millions of cars. A car seat fails, we recall millions of car seats. In this case, Merck, if you don't remember, Merck made Vioxx. It caused heart attacks. They knew it. They had hid it from the FDA. They put out a drug. They knew it caused heart attacks. And 65,000 people or more were killed by that drug. They settled for $3 billion in a lawsuit. I'm amazed at any company that knowingly murders American citizens, more American citizens, by the way, than were killed in the Vietnam War. I'm amazed that company can even work in America ever again. But they happen to make most of your childhood vaccines. This wonderful, beautiful company that in this court case had emails that said, 
inside of them, when doctors were beginning to question why their, their patients were having heart attacks, Merck put out an email to all their marketing agents saying, don't worry, any doctor that, that questions the safety of Vioxx, we will hunt them down and destroy them where they live. That was a quote, came out in court, internal email. That's how that company thinks of citizens. And that company, as I said, makes your childhood vaccines. I hope you feel good, because that's who's supposed to be in charge of safety until this happened. The 1986 Vaccine Injury Compensation Act. Essentially, as I said, DTP was causing so many lawsuits, the manufacturers were saying we can't make money from vaccines anymore. And I don't want to just put it all on the pharmaceutical industry. There were also parents of injured children that wanted to see some way that we could have a court system that would pay out easier so that they didn't have to try and sue a multi-billion dollar industry and go through appeals processes. So the government, and, and Ronald Reagan signed this act reticently. He was really nervous about the dangers of taking all liability away from a company that injects products into our babies. But he did it. And so what was the consequence of that? All of a sudden, overnight, there was no incentive to conduct safety studies by the, the manufacturers. In fact, there was a disincentive because in the 86 Act, the only way you can sue and get outside of this law is if they recognize an adverse event that they do not report. So think about that. If you're a company, you say, okay, well, hold on a second. So if we do safety studies and find that we have an adverse event and we don't report it, we can be sued. If we don't do any safety studies at all and just put this on the market, we are free and clear from liability? That's right. Who thought of that? Think about how dangerous that is. So once you're free from liability, you have 78 million American children. As soon as you get your vaccine put on the childhood schedule, 78 million customers automatically overnight because of our mandating laws. I don't know how many of you are entrepreneurs or create some sort of product. Can you imagine being able to lobby the government to force your product in the hands of every child in America? I mean, Cabbage Patch dolls, they would have ruled the world. Okay. And obviously, there's a strong incentive to do what? Develop more vaccines because it's become so financially viable. You can't get sued. You don't have to advertise because the government's going to force them onto people. And so what happens? There we are, 11 vaccines in 1986. This is what it looks like now in 2017. And by the way, there's 270 vaccines in the pipeline you haven't heard about yet, and thousands of vaccine trials going on as we speak. I'm here to tell you this is the future of the pharmaceutical industry for all the reasons I've said. It's the most profitable product the pharmaceutical industry has. You can sue for Vioxx, you can sue for OxyContin, but you can't sue for vaccines and you don't even have to advertise. And, by the way, the pharmaceutical industry is the number one most powerful lobby in Washington today as we speak. They are outspending oil and gas two to one. Wrap your head around that. Why does the pharmaceutical industry need to be buying politicians at the rate of two to one over energy? Where are they going? Do you think they're trying to push a drug? Or maybe, just maybe, they really like their product that they can force onto schedules and mandate them for the American population. If you go to Health and Human Services website, you will find this is not just about kids. They have something called Healthy People 2020. And the goal was by 2020 to have a mandatory vaccine program for all adults too. That's where the money is. When you investigate a story as a journalist, what's the one question you always ask or as a lawyer? 
Follow the money. Where does the money go? This whole push to mandate vaccines in children, the flu and the scare and the, the, the measles outbreaks, it's not about trying to get 2% of these kids vaccinated that aren't vaccinating. That's not worth anything. It's about 320 million Americans being turned into human ATM machines for the pharmaceutical industry. That's where this is going. And so who is going to deal with this? When this is what our schedule ends up being, because these people will vaccinate for every microbe and piece of flint or fleck on the planet if they can, who is going to test all of these for safety before they hit the market? Who's in charge of that? Health and Human Services. This is how this works. The 1986 Act takes all liability away from the industry, puts it on Health and Human Services, which oversees FDA, CDC, HRSA, and NIH. Now let's talk about how well that's being done, and the conflicts of interest. There's a major conflict of interest right up at the bat, which is obvious to anyone that looks at it. You have a problem because Health and Human Services, through the CDC, their primary objective is to stop infectious disease. It's a noble objective. I am not putting that down. But they have to promote vaccines, and they have to distribute vaccines, because vaccines is the only way our scientific community right now thinks you stop. That's the only way you can stop infectious disease. That's their primary goal. But then you hand them the job of testing these products for safety. Well, look at the problem. If you've seen Vaxxed, you see exactly what happened. How do you promote a product to millions of people? In fact, they buy $5 billion worth of vaccines to distribute. How do you do that and then do a safety test that finds, oh my goodness, one of these is really dangerous, is hurting children? If they publicize that, they're terrified that their primary objective of getting you to use a vaccine will go down. And there is the ultimate conflict of interest. But it gets worse. Okay. How does FDA assess the safety of vaccines? If you go to the website, this is what it says. Vaccines undergo rigorous and extensive testing to determine their safety and effectiveness. Okay, that is true for drugs. How did that mean? If you look at drugs, this is how a drug is approved. Lipitor had a 4.8 year safety review period with a placebo group. The scientific method for, a, for achieving safety in a product that's injected or swallowed is to have a double-blind placebo study, an inert placebo. One group gets Lipitor, the other group gets a sugar pill that's painted just like Lipitor. Neither the scientists nor the people involved in the study know which one they're getting. Then at the end of the 4.8 years, they put it all on a graph on a computer. We find out what were the rates of cancer, what were the rates of autoimmune disease, you know, all the different types of questions we have, and then it's unmasked. And then the scientists and everybody finds out, did the drug perform as safely as the inert placebo? You all had some sense of that if you went to high school science. That's how it's done, okay? It's obvious. Embryol, same thing, 6.6 years. That got a saline injection. Now, here's the question. Wouldn't you assume vaccines are going through this exact same process? Because I know I did. I know when I worked on the doctor's television show and people said vaccines are dangerous, I was like, well, that'd be... I mean, yeah, sometimes things like Vioxx slip through, but I'm not seeing some big lawsuit or something outing vaccines. Certainly, they're going through this process. Take a look at this. This is the hepatitis B vaccine that's given on the first day of life. Hello, welcome to the world. You're gasping for your first breath, and we're going to give you your first sexually transmitted disease called hepatitis B. By the way, just like AIDS is not, you, the only way you contract it is sharing needles or being sexually active with prostitutes or promiscuous sexual behavior. I don't know how you plan on raising your one-day-old infant 
but hopefully there's going to be a long time before this vaccine is even needed. But look at this safety review period. This comes right off of the vaccine insert itself. I'm not making this up. Four days. They injected the children, and then four days they look good, put this on the market. The other product, so that was GlaxoSmithKline's, Merck, five days. And was there a placebo group? No. No inert placebo to test against to see, you know, anything. They just put this right on the market into day one old babies. I don't know how many of you have babies, but that is the most fragile human alive. And remember what I said at the top? We have more babies die on the first day of life than every other industrialized nation combined. You know what they don't do? They don't give their babies hepatitis B vaccines on day one. And look at this. Polio. 48-hour review period, and this is great. This is another trick they do. Oh, we do do placebo studies. The placebo group got the DTP vaccine. The most de the deadly vaccine that's killing 10 times the amount of kids in Africa was how we approved the polio vaccine. One group got the polio vaccine and the other group got DTP. They seem to have about the same amount of adverse events and risk profile. Polio looks good, put it on the market. You can't make this stuff up, and it goes on and on and on this way. We literally said to the heads of National Institute of Health, CDC, HHS, are we missing something? Is there somewhere where a real inert placebo study is being done in a file in a computer system we don't have access to? Because we believe we'd like to see that. And they hemmed and they hawed, and they sort of shuffled in their chairs, and eventually they said no. No, what? No, you're not going to show us, or no, you don't use the scientific method to approve vaccines for safety? No, we don't use, use placebo-based studies. Why? This is what they said. Because it would be unethical. <laughs> That's right. Unethical because we believe vaccines are so fantastic. Even a brand new one before it's ever come onto the market, like HPV. We're going to try and fight cancer, cervical cancer with a vaccine. It's so fantastic, even before we get to a safety trial, that to have a group of children go through a placebo group for three or four years would be a disservice to them not getting this great new product. Therefore, we don't test them. There it is. Now, you can question that science, and you can ask whether you think that's good science or not. But here's what just happened. Our top health agencies in the United States of America just admitted to me, Robert Kennedy Jr., and 10 other people on our team, we have never done a vaccine safety study before we put it on the market. That's it. Whatever you want to call it, unethical or not, you now know your children are part of one of the greatest human experiments in the history of man. Okay, so here's how the process works. In order for a vaccine to be approved, it has to go through the FDA. That group is called the Vaccine and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee. In 2000, the uh, Congress investigated Verback is what it's called, and this is what they found. The overwhelming majority of members, both voting members and consultants, have substantial ties to the pharmaceutical industry, and committee members with substantial ties to pharmaceutical companies have been given waivers to participate in committee proceedings. What types of waivers? Look at this. For instance, three out of the five FDA advisory committee members who voted to approve the rotavirus vaccine in 1997 had financial ties to the pharmaceutical companies that were doing what? developing different versions of the rotavirus vaccine. You had people 
voting to approve rotavirus to be added to the childhood schedule that were in development with their own rotavirus vaccine. One of the five voting members had a $10 million contract for a rotavirus vaccine, and one was the principal investigator for a Merck grant to develop what? A rotavirus vaccine. These are the people that were voting, saying, yes, your children need this because we are going to make billions of dollars. Can you think of a greater conflict of interest? I can't. Okay. So once it gets out of the FDA, it goes to ACIP, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. So the FDA just approved it for the market, and now we're going to put it onto the childhood schedule officially, and we want ACIP to weigh in on this. Same thing, but think about this vote, mandating it to millions. Once you get this vote, once it goes through this committee, millions, 78 million children are now going to be forced to use your product, okay? You have immunity from liability. This is where your immunity comes. Once it lands on the schedule, now you're free from liability. You never have to worry about it again. You're included in the Vaccine for Children program, which even pays you when children are too poor to have the vaccine. The government's going to make sure you get paid for every single one of your product that goes out the door. All right. And once again, in the investigation, CDC grants blanket waivers to the ACIP members, regardless of their conflicts. ACIP reflects a system where government officials make crucial decisions affecting American children without the advice and consent of the governed. Same thing, they went through a list of systematic lack of oversight. 97% of the committee members had not even filled out their conflict disclosures part of the, the paper when they took the job. And then 58% still had unidentified potential conflicts. 32 had, even when they looked into it, had 32 conflicts that were unresolved. Basically, you have the pharmaceutical industry sitting in this pseudo board acting like it's there for your safety, voting their own products into your children. Their own unsafety tested products into your kids. Here's how the finances break down. CDC gets an $11.5 billion with a B dollar budget. They buy $4.9 billion with the vaccines which they distribute all over the country. They're a marketing arm for the pharmaceutical industry. They also, by the way, own over 20 patents in many of your childhood vaccines now, so they make money off of every sale of a vaccine. Still want to have CDC in charge of your safety? Because if they find a problem with a vaccine their own patent is in, do you think they're going to tell you about it? All right. And then you've got the revolving door. If you watched Vax, you know that Julie Gerberding was the head of the CDC at the same time that this... MMR study that proves to be a fraud looking at MMR and autism. That was a Merck product. Julie Gerberding oversaw this study, which basically kicked kids off of the study, manipulated the study, committed a complete and total scientific fraud. And what happened with her after that? She goes on to work for Merck as president of the vaccine department at $2.5 million salary. Congratulations, job well done, Julie. You exonerated Merck's products, and now you're the head of their company. Okay, let's talk about vaccine court for a second. I know I'm dumping a lot on you, but people will always say, well, where's your data, where's your proof? I'm laying the data on you, and at the end, I will give you a text message that you can send, and you can bring this home, and you can look it over. We cite everything. I'm not making this up. This is all their own published studies, journals. All of this is public record. Okay, so the vaccine injury compensation program, this is how this court system works. There is no judge. There is no jury. The press is not allowed. And all filings are submitted under seal. You must fight against HHS. Now, I want you to think about this. This really just hit me this year. So you used to sue Merck when your child got seizures or died after a vaccine. 
Now, when you have to sue for a vaccine injury, you're suing the Secretary of Health and Human Services. You're suing the government of the United States. You have to fight the government to say, my child's been injured by a vaccine. And who do they use to fight back? The Department of Justice lawyers. Think about how corrupt this is. Department of Justice usually is there to fight for the citizens of a country against industries and manufacturers that break laws or break rules and put us in harm's way. But in this situation, it's turned completely on its head, and now they fight you to prove you're crazy, you're lying, the vaccine did not cause your child or your injury. Incredible. And you must fight without discovery. You're not allowed to ask to see the safety trials that we've been looking for. You're not allowed to ask Merck, how did this product get made? What happened with it? None of that's available to you. Would be available in a regular court, but not for you. And this is the best part. They don't have to prove that the injury was not caused by the vaccine. You have to prove that the injury was caused by the vaccine. You being what? I mean, maybe you work in retail or you sell cars or insurance. How are you supposed to know what the science is that caused your, what happened right before your eyes? Your child got a vaccine and then stopped talking three days later, stopped walking, never was the same person again. It is upon you to prove that that was caused by the vaccine and how the only thing they will accept is science. You have to find scientific studies that show that the vaccine causes this injury. And who was supposed to have done those studies for you? Health and Human Services. Because they're the ones responsible for safety now. The very person you're suing, the group you're suing, is the one that was supposed to have done the safety science, so you never had to be in this courtroom to begin with. In fact, it's like this. It's a murder trial where the murderer is the one doing all of the forensics. And under those unbelievably extreme circumstances, we've still paid out $3.7 billion in injuries to vaccine injury, and that is with a cap of $250,000 for pain, suffering, and death. Okay. So if you saw Vax, do you remember that William Thompson came forward. He was recorded in four, uh, several phone calls over four hours of material. He also presented Congressman Bill Posey with 10,000 documents to back up his claim. This was not some guy who was just had an ax to grind and making something up. He backed it up with real, with real data, 10,000 pages. He gave to Congressman Bill Posey, and Congressman Bill Posey stood before our Congress and said this. In August 2014, Dr. William Thompson, a senior scientist at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, worked with a whistleblower attorney to provide my office with documents related to a 2004 CDC study that examined the possibility of a relationship between mumps, measles, rubella, vaccines, and autism. In a statement released in August 2014, Dr. Thompson stated, I regret that my co-authors and I omitted omitted statistically significant information in our 2004 article published in the Journal of Pediatrics. The co-author scheduled a meeting to destroy documents related to the study. The remaining four co-authors all met and brought a big garbage can into the meeting room and reviewed and went through all the hard copy documents that we had thought we should discard and put them in a huge garbage can. However, because I assumed it was illegal 
and would violate both FOIA and DOJ requests, I kept hard copies of all documents in my office and I retained all associated computer files. Destroyed documents. You've heard that before. William Thompson has them. He's given them to a sitting congressman. That congressman stood before our own Congress. And at the end of this says, the American people trust us with the safety and health of their children. Please, please, I beg, I implore you, we must subpoena Dr. William Thompson. That has not happened. It's been almost three years our government does not want to talk to Dr. William Thompson, who, by the way, still works for the CDC, still considered to be one of our greatest vaccine scientists of all times. So he hasn't lost his mind. They haven't kicked him out. He's still protected by whistleblower status, and no one in our government seems to care. Just so you get a sense of it, here's just a little bit of what was recorded of Thompson and his thoughts. By the way, this is the statistician. When they're doing a study, like the MMR vaccine study, there's five people on that team. He's the mathematician. He's the one that sits with the computer and has to graph it all out. This is the most important guy. You know, as, as you would say, if you're busting the mob, this was the guy that had all the numbers. Okay? He has the numbers, and this is what he had to I say. I shoulder that the CDC has put the research 10 years behind. All right? Mm -hmm. Because the CDC has not been transparent, we've missed 10 years of research because the CDC is so um, paralyzed right now by anything related to autism. Right. Um, they're not doing what they should be doing. Right. Because they're afraid to look for things that might be associated. When I talk to you, you have a son with autism, and I have great shame now when I meet families with kids with autism because I've I have been part of the problem, so there's less and less and less being done as the place just comes to a grinding halt. There it is. I want to give a shout out to Brian Hooker, who is the scientist on the other side of that phone call and decided to start recording these statements. By the way, people will say, wow, it was recorded without him knowing it? Yeah. Well, doesn't that make that, you know, illegal? Brian Hooker actually investigated and found out he lives in California, which is a two-party state, so both parties on the phone have to know they're being recorded. But he lives in Redding, California, three hours from Oregon, where it's a one-party state, so he drove to Oregon every time he recorded these phone calls. But I want you to think about this. Thompson didn't know he was being recorded. This is not a man that stepped forward looking for some salary bonus or to get even with somebody. He was confessing his soul on a phone, thinking that it was private. That makes him, I think, the most credible whistleblower we may have ever seen. Okay. So you get it. We're incentivizing the industry to not do proper safety testing. The regulatory agencies are likewise incentivized to not do testing because it'll be used against them in court. And so our regulatory function has been subsumed to promoting, distributing, and defending vaccines, and no one is looking at safety. Okay, so we've talked about pre-licensing safety studies. What, what safety studies are being done? None to put it onto the market. So we asked this. Since clearly it's, you know, unethical to do the appropriate studies to determine safety, how are you monitoring the safety of vaccines once we are experimenting on our population, when we're giving them to kids? What program is in place? Okay? We only have one program in place, and this is it. 
It's called the VAERS system, the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. If you go to your pediatrician, your child gets a vaccine, they start having seizures the next day, you bring them in. That doctor is supposed to report those seizures to VAERS. If your child dies four days after a vaccine, that doctor is supposed to report that to VAERS. Well, look at 2016. Here's the amount of VAERS reports we have, 59,117. I think for most people, that's a far cry higher than you thought it was to begin with. We're told vaccine injuries are one in a million. There's not 59,000 million people living in America, so something's wrong. 432 deaths, 1,000 permanent disabilities, lifelong permanent disabilities, 10,000 emergency room visits. Those numbers are horrific. And how does a government force you to use a product with this type of safety rating? They know some people, they're going to murder innocent children this year. They know it. They can't avoid it. They're going to create a catastrophic, you know, mental or brain swelling for certain kids, and they know it. How does our government, by the way, Sweden just ruled when they were looking at forcing vaccines, they said our constitution does not allow us to murder our own citizens, therefore we cannot have a forced vaccine program. It's that simple. Whether it's for the good of the whole or not, the Hippocratic Oath is to do no harm, not some harm, no harm. And yet we knowingly, every doctor will tell you, well, of course some kids will die, some will be injured, but that is the accepted casualty of herd immunity. Follow that question up with exactly how many people do we expect to die next year based on our numbers? Or how many children are going to have a neurological event that will damage them for life? I asked this of the of CDC head in Washington. She looked at me and she said, Dell, we don't have the data on that. I said, hold on a second. You just said it's an accepted casualty and you don't know what casualty you're accepting? And you call that science? She's like, okay, I get your point. But it gets worse. It gets worse than 59,000 because when we said to them, we'd like to do studies on the VAERS system. We'd like to run data studies to see if we can figure out what's causing SIDS or sudden unexplained death or autism or seizures. And you know what they say? Well, you can't use VAERS because we don't trust it. <laughs> what do you mean you don't trust the only surveillance system you have? They say because it's, the, the, it's underreported. In fact, HHS did its own study of the system that they are in control of, and this is what they found. Fewer than 1% of adverse events are actually being reported. Doctors don't know about it. Doctors are afraid to use it or don't use it or don't want to take the time. So no one is reporting to this system. Another study by David A. Kessler found the same thing. A fraction of the amount of injuries are being reported to VAERS. What does that mean? I mean, does that mean if we're to go by HHS's own statement, 59,000 injuries becomes 5.9 million injuries in the year of 2016. 430 due deaths could be 43,000 deaths. And 10,000 emergency room visits becomes a million emergency room visits. I'm not making this claim. HHS is essentially making this claim. Why does no one care about this? And 
When we think to ourselves, well, certainly, if it's underreported, we live in the United States of America. We have Google, we have Apple, we have Microsoft. I mean, certainly someone can build a system to automate when someone comes in with an injury that it just immediately goes into the computer system. So we can start collecting data in the modern age and get to the bottom of the autoimmune disease crisis. What is causing it? Makes sense. I didn't think of that, though. I wish I had, but the CDC did. In fact, in 2010, they hired the Harvard medical team to look into automating VARES. Could you automate VARES? And what they said is, why don't you use your own insurance plan, the Harvard Pilgrim insurance plan, and see if you can automate your VARES system inside of that. So they did. And here's what they found out. We, the preliminary data were collected from June 2006 to 2009 on 715,000 patients. 1.4 million doses were given. 376,000 individuals got vaccines, and of these, there were 35,000 possible reactions. 376,000 individuals, 35,000 possible reactions, that's not one in a million. That's one in 10. That's shocking. Nobody, who would buy a product that injures one in ten? How many people would spin a revolver with one deadly bullet or one life-changing bullet and put it on your child's head? You wouldn't do it. No one's told you this. So when they saw this, did the CDC say, fantastic, great, we can finally really modernize here and get to the bottom of this issue. Let's bring it online and get the whole country lined up and VARES, let's automate it nationwide. No, look what they say at the end of this study. Unfortunately, there was never an opportunity to perform systems performance assessments because the necessary CDC contacts were no longer available and the CDC consultants responsible for receiving data were no longer responsive to our multiple requests to proceed with testing and evaluation. They stopped answering the phone. They stopped answering their emails. They said, oh, hell no. We can't go in this direction. Let's shut this down immediately. And so the CDC wasted $1 million of taxpayer money simply because once again they saw something they didn't like. This is my favorite part of this whole thing in a very dark, I guess, sort of cynical type of way. <clears throat> the Institute of Medicine is the brain trust of American science that are not working for our government. They may have previously worked for the CDC or something, but now they're in private practice, Nobel laureates, so they sit on this panel, and every once in a while, the CDC will ask them to review or investigate a question that they might have outside of the government agency. So in 1991, the CDC asked the Institute of Medicine to look at the DTP vaccine. This one is killing children in Africa and caused our vaccine injury compensation program. They said, look at the 22 conditions that are most commonly uh, referred to by parents after getting this vaccine, and they did. And what they found was the literature supports causation for six of them. Six of the 22 definitely caused by the vaccine. Four, definitely not caused by the vaccine. We've looked at all the literature and science around the world. But look at this number right here, 12. 12 of the 22, more than half, there is no science that exists. We have no idea if the vaccine is causing aseptic meningitis, chronic neurological damage, learning disabilities, attention deficit disorder, juvenile diabetes, Guillain-Barre syndrome, peripheral mononeuropathy. These horrific events, the IOM says, we're flying blind, folks. We have no idea if the vaccine is causing this, and no one's doing any science to look into it. 
And so what did they say? They said, please, if research capacity and accomplishment in this field are not improved, future reviews of vaccine safety will be similarly handicapped. Basically, CDC, do your job. Children in harm's way, and this is scary. Did the CDC clean up their act? In 1994, the IOMs asked to look at four more vaccines, DT, MM, Hep B, and Hib. Now we have 54 common injuries being reported. Once again, the literature supported causation for 12, rejected four. Look at that number. Of 54, 38, the CDC, HHS, FDA, not a clue. We have no idea if our vaccine is causing demyelinating diseases of the central nervous system, sterility, arthritis, neuropathy, residual seizure disorder. I was thinking the other day, did anyone see that Clive Owen movie where there's like one woman alive that's pregnant and he's got to like try and get her to escape? It's like this futuristic movie and you think, oh, that's like, how would that happen? It would happen if we're injecting products into a citizen's and no one's testing the safety. Nobody cares that we're seeing sterility and issues like that. Okay, and again, they rebuked the CDC saying the lack of adequate data regarding many of the adverse events under study was of major concern to this committee. The IOM report somberly states it regrets this uncertainty and urges that more definitive research be done immediately. Did they do it? 2011. Once again, four more vaccines, varicella, tetanus, hep B, MMR. Now we have 150. 55 common reported injuries. Literature supports 16, rejects 5. 134 injuries. We don't have a clue, folks. We just don't know. And they're the same. They're the same. Encephalitis, encephalopathy, transverse myelitis. These were all on the one all the way back in 96. They have never taken this list after IOM says we have no idea. They never went and did a study saying we better look at Guillain-Barre syndrome and transverse myelitis because if we're causing paralysis, certainly there's a way to fix this vaccine to make it better. They didn't care. Not for a decade. They have never done the studies. Yet they're telling you, don't worry about it. Vaccines are safe and effective and we're extensively looking into this. Autism. A lot of people tell me, Dell, just get off of autism. We've lost the sort of battle around that word. There's so many other injuries caused by vaccines. Just focus there. It's a good point. Except that autism, as of, I think it was about a month ago, has just now upticked one more time. One in 36 children in America is now being diagnosed with autism. And forget about these ads where they show these kids healing and they, or, they're, or that they're, they're really just kind of quirky and they go off to college. That's a small percentage and good for them. But there are parents all over this country that cannot come into rooms like this, cannot go out in public because they're in prison with a child that cannot go out and function in society. Millions of them and growing by the millions. What is the future of your child right now going to be taking care of one in 36? Or if you've seen Vax, you know that mathematically if it continues on the current surge, we will be diagnosing one in two children with autism by 2032. That's the end of a society, folks. That's the end of a standing army. It's the end of your insurance system, which is already crumbling under the weight and the cost of autism. But let's look at autism just for one moment here because the Institute of Medicine did. In 2011, they were asked, will you look at the DTaP vaccine and the Tdap, so our diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis vaccines, both childhood and adult, and see parents are saying that their child's autism was caused by that vaccine. So they investigated. Institute of Medicine looked into it. On the bottom, you will see it says, the evidence, this is their conclusion, the evidence is inadequate to accept 
or reject a causal relationship between diphtheria, toxoid, tetanus, toxoid, or acellular pertussis containing vaccines and autism. Same as the other 134 out of 155, no science exists looking at DTaP. What? No science? Sanjay Gupta told me they've looked at the entire vaccine program extensively, but the Institute of Medicine is telling me no science has looked at just one of the vaccines, DTaP, when asked to look at it. What's fascinating, too, is if you look at the top paragraph, there was actually one study, one study they found investigating DTaP vaccine in autism. It was called the Geyer and Geyer study, and look what it says. The committee reviewed one study to evaluate the risk of autism after the administration of DTaP vaccine. The one study was not considered in the weight of epidemiologic evidence because it provided data from a passive surveillance system, our VARA system, which we don't trust, and this is beautiful, and lacked an unvaccinated comparison population. We're not going to trust it because it's not a vax versus unvax study. And by the way, we refuse to do a vax versus unvax study. Okay, so there it is. DTaP vaccine, we don't know could be causing autism, just as likely that it causes autism, that it doesn't cause autism because no science exists. Now, when you get a vaccine, you get the little VIS sheet that tells you maybe some swelling in the arm, says for further information, go to this CDC website. And when you do, this is the first page that comes up. Vaccines do not cause autism. This is what they think is the most important thing you know when you're looking into what type of harm the vaccine could potentially cause your child. Vaccines do not cause autism is the first thing they want to tell you. And what do they cite as the background for this incredible statement? The 2011 study that only looked at the DTaP and determined we can neither determine yes or no. Whether it, causes vaccine, whether it causes autism. This is a total sham. Your government is lying to the people every day they go to this website because not only do we not know about the DTaP, and therefore, how do you get to vaccines, plural? I mean, if you've seen Vax, you know the MMR vaccine study was a fraud, but you could say, if you're going to stand behind your fraud, MMR does not cause autism. But you cannot say vaccines do not cause autism because you've never looked at vaccines. In fact, of all of the 16 vaccines our children receive, only one has ever been through an actual study taking autistic children and a group that got the vaccine and comparing what happened and how it went down. Only one of 16 vaccines. So Sanjay Gupta, you are lying to the world. And I hate to keep picking on him. He was, a, I dug him, I had him on the doctors, I've had him as guests, but how can you keep repeating this nonsense when it's just simply not true? There's, in what world is one of 16 vaccines an extensive investigation? And in what world of the 50 toxic you know, ingredients in the vaccines, only one has ever been studied looking at autism, and that's dimerosol, the mercury-containing uh, preservative. All the rest of these, from aborted fetal tissue, which there are really credible reasons why having fragments of DNA in your, you know, from a dead baby going into your healthy baby could be causing issues like autism. And you know, you've got mercury, aluminum, formaldehyde, polysorbate 80, and the list just goes on and on. None of them have ever been through a test. Nobody's testing it. Because what did Thompson say? We don't want to find out we have a problem. Your entire scientific community that's leading the world 
Every doctor's going to the CDC website and believing what they're being told. I'm not saying this is a conspiracy amongst the doctors. The doctors are being lied to like the rest of us by this insanity. But don't take my word for it. I'm just a medical researcher. I'm just a journalist. This is Bernadine Healy, who was the head of the National Institute of Health. They get the most amount of funding from our government for health. The National Institute of Health is our top brain trust of science and medicine, and she was the head of it, and this is what she had to say. This is the time when we do have the opportunity to understand whether or not there are susceptible children, perhaps genetically, perhaps they have a metabolic uh, issue, mitochondrial disorder, immunological issue, that makes them more susceptible to vaccines, plural, or to one particular vaccine, or to a component of vaccine, like mercury. The fact that there is concern that you don't want to know that susceptible group is a real disappointment to me. If you know that susceptible group, you can save those children. The reason why they didn't want to look for those susceptibility groups was because they were afraid that if they found them, however big or small they were, that that would scare the public away. It sounds like you don't think the hypothesis of a link between vaccines and autism is completely irrational. So when I first heard about it, I thought, well, that doesn't make sense to me. The more you delve into it, if you look at the basic science, if you look at the research that's been done in animals, if you also look at uh, some of these individual cases, and if you look at the evidence that there is no link, what I come away with is the question has not been answered. Did you ever hear that? Head of the National Institute of Health, the question has not been answered. We've buried this. And autism is skyrocketing. Autoimmune disease is skyrocketing. Our children are so sick. And yet we're worried about measles. Somebody recently was attacking me on Facebook and said, well, even if it's true that vaccines cause autism, it's better than the diseases that you're protected against. Imagine making that statement. Four, how, many people, how many people in this room had measles as kids? Okay. Was that as bad as neurological damage for life, can't go to school, wearing diapers into adulthood? I don't think so. It's an unbelievably insane statement, but that's the type of thinking. Or how many people have heard, autism's always been here, we're just diagnosing it better? Have you heard that line? Has anyone run their brain through that for two seconds instead of just repeating it and thought, okay, where were the autistic kids in my classroom? It didn't mean they would have disappeared. They would have been there. They would have been flapping and repetitive motions and having trouble in class. But they probably wouldn't have been in school because we wouldn't know how to handle them in school. So I don't remember a single friend I went home to that had a brother or a sister in a, in a room somewhere being kept at home. Or how about this idea? How about the greatest investigative medical minds of our time? Don't live in this time. Lived a century or two ago. Charcot, Tourette's, Freud. What did these guys do? These guys went to insane asylums all over the world. They were passionate about diagnosing maladies and writing down every description of it. They couldn't fix it. They couldn't heal it. That would come century later. But they looked into it. And we can't find a single record of a description of autism. Not one. If autism's always been here, and if you hear a scientist say that, you have to seriously question what is going on here. It flies in the face of reality.
Where are we at? So what does she talk about? She talks about susceptible groups. We know some children are being injured. Some will die. Why are they having allergic reactions? Why do some get autism and others don't? Why do some have seizures and others don't? Why do some babies die all of a sudden and others don't? If we investigated that, we might find the answers. Here's the Institute of Medicine looking at a few of the things we've talked about. They, looked at, they did a search of allergy, asthma, autoimmunity, autism, neurological disorders, on and on. And what they found is no studies have compared the differences in health outcomes between entirely unamused, unimmunized populations of children and fully immunized children. So if anyone tells you we've done the Vax versus Unvax study, it has not happened. Institute of Medicine says it right here. We've never done it. We've never done the most obvious study known to man. And it goes on further. How many people have heard, you know, Bob Sears or these doctors that spread the schedule out and they say that they're dangerous, they're quacks, they're, they're, they're using an unproven vaccine program for children. Look what the Institute of Medicine has to say about the CDC's own vaccine schedule. Furthermore, studies designed to examine the long-term effects of the cumulative number of vaccines or other aspects of the immunization schedule have not been conducted. They have never done a study of four vaccines being given to your baby at one time. They have never done a study of 72 vaccines in your children by 18, ever. Institute of Medicine said it, I didn't. You see where we're going here? Why am I the only journalist talking about this? What is happening? And what issue do we have in this nation that is bigger than this? What other product is being forced into you? What you are, we're on the cusp of living in a country that won't let you on a plane until you get these untested vaccines. You won't be allowed in open spaces. They're starting with our kids. Now you're seeing nurses are having to get vaccinated. Never needed it before. No one was dying because a nurse gave them the flu. But now all of a sudden, nurses and healthcare workers and childcare workers. This is the beginning of a forced injection program. Take the word vaccination out of it for a moment. Can you imagine 10 years ago if I told you we're about to live in a country where they're going to line American citizens up at least once a year and force inject you with unknown products. That's what you're signing off on. Every politician that you don't keep in check, that you let pass mandatory vaccine laws, that's where this is going. You are going to be lined up. And what did we see? Gates Foundation had a vaccine program, a diphtheria tetanus program in Africa. They smuggled out the two or three different groups, grabbed the vaccines because something peculiar was happening, and they ran out of the country. The vaccines were showing up under armed guards, being used in these villages and then taken away under armed guards. And someone says, something's weird there. So they grabbed them and ran them to labs. Two different labs reported that those vaccines were sterilizing girls in Africa. So what happens when you have a mandatory vaccine program and you decide... All of a sudden we start hearing, geez, everyone in Compton or Watts or somewhere in the poorer side of town in Mississippi, they're just having trouble having babies and we don't know why. I'm not saying that's how this program is being used. I'm saying that's how this program could be used. And what intelligent society doesn't reflect on Hitler and Nazi Germany? What have we heard? If you forget your past, you're doomed to repeat it. At what point do we wake up and say, this is scary times, folks. Why is all this important? Well, because look at the same time the vaccines are increasing, which is the red dots, and then the autoimmune disease is going up right alongside of it. CDC's vaccine safety data link, this is what we asked them to do. 
We said, you have a data link that has 10 million individuals in it. It's, it's kept up to date every year. The entire life health outcomes and, and reports from these people is in there. We simply want you to run the unvaccinated children against the fully vaccinated children in a comparative study. Run the health outcomes. What are the rates of cancer, autoimmune disease, multiple sclerosis, on and on and on. And you know what they said? We can't figure out how to do that study. That's what they said. Tony Fauci and Francis Collins looked us in the eyes and said, the brain trust of world health cannot figure out how to compare unvaccinated kids to vaccinated kids. There you go. So it's unethical to do a pre-licensing study, and we are incapable of figuring out how to do a post-licensing study. And that's where we're at. Unfortunately for them, the IOM looked into this in 2011. What do they say? It is possible to make this comparison between vaccinated versus unvaccinated children through analysis of patient information contained in large databases such as the VSD. So they're just refusing. This was a vax versus unvax study. Tenfold increase in death by the vaccine. There was another vax versus unvax study that came out last year. This is the Mawson study. It looked at 640 homeschool kids. I think it was 640, over 600. And it asked essentially questions of the, the vaccination programs and the health programs for the parents that were homeschooling. And what they discovered was the vaccinated children did have lower rates of measles, did have lower rates of chickenpox. So nobody was lying. They admitted, you know, yeah, my kid got measles and chickenpox because they were unvaccinated. But the vaccinated kids had 30 times the amount of allergic rhinitis, had 3.9 times the amount of allergy, had four times the amount of AD, ADHD, had four times the amount of autism, had three times the amount of eczema, five times the amount of learning disabilities, and almost four times the amount of neurological disorders. Is this a small study? They say, well, it's a small study. Fine. Do your own. Do your own on the 10 million kids and stop beating around the bush because this is what we are seeing. This is what we are seeing in our classrooms. This is what we're seeing in our Sunday schools. This is what we're seeing in our homes. Our kids are sick and you keep telling us it's not the vaccine. Then what is it? Doesn't it bother you that Sanjay Gupta or any other news reporter out there keeps telling you it's not vaccines but they won't tell you why our kids are so sick. Are you investigating food? Are you investigating water? They're not investigating anything. In fact, you know, and I say this because I grew up a progressive liberal from Boulder, Colorado. I'm an environmentalist until I ran into this subject. But I go home and my parents scream and everyone around me screams and yells about Donald Trump. And they say, he's going to destroy all of our regulatory agencies. And I say, please let him do it. <laughs> why? Because Obama put Monsanto lawyers and, and workers as head of FDA. Monsanto's running FDA. The EPA is being run by Exxon. And the CDC is being run by Merck and Pfizer and Sanofi Aventis. You don't have regulatory agencies. What you have is a lie that you're believing and you're putting your children in harm's way. And you're putting yourself in harm's way. If Donald Trump would just obliterate these agencies, at least then and only then, all of America would recognize you are on your own. It's every man for himself out here because your government is not protecting you. They are protecting the industries.
If you go on YouTube and put in vaccine injury, tens of thousands of videos come up just like this one. Fill up my senses. Come fill me again. I took out the part this girl now can't walk at all, paralyzed. The shoulders down. Many of you maybe saw the story of Colton in Utah, a boy who was a motorcycle racer who got his HPV vaccine, was paralyzed, had to walk around with a ventilator in his throat. We have kids walking around with ventilators. I have news for you folks. We haven't gotten rid of the iron lung. We've made it smaller. You can carry it with you now. And now what's causing your paralysis is vaccines. I don't know where to go with this except to tell you that as much as this is doom and gloom, and this is scary, and these are the facts as I have found them, and I'm going to continue to investigate. What I do know is this dialogue is shifting in this country. After VAX, the reports of, from the Pediatric Association is that more and more people are declining the vaccines for their children or spreading them out. More and more people are questioning whether they should be vaccinated. A poll said that before vaxxed, 17% of people thought that there might be a connection between vaccines and autism. One year later, after vaxxed, 30% of people polled believe there might be a connection between autism and vaccines. <laughs> this is shifting. Parents keep telling me, you know, I didn't used to be able to talk about this on my mommy blog. I would get attacked. Now people are asking me questions on that blog. That's because of you. It's not because of me. I can only talk to a few people here and there. But you need to stand up now. You have to talk to everyone you know. And people say, well, I'm afraid. I'm nervous about talking about this. You're nervous about telling the truth? What are you afraid of? And what are the consequences of being crippled by that fear? You are just around the corner. Had Hillary Clinton gotten into office, and I don't mean to make this political, but she was going to push through Healthy People 2020. Forced vaccinations for all. Your next liberal Democrat most likely will push that system through. I'm not saying Donald Trump's a great president. What I'm saying is he seems to have pushed a pause button on forced vaccinating everybody in this country. Okay? We're that close. We're one election away from losing the rights to control our own bodies. And I think all the time about our founding fathers. I think about Jefferson and Adams and Ben Franklin, these guys sitting in a room and thinking, you know what, depression is real. We are outnumbered on paper. This battle looks terrible. The British Armada is the greatest, strongest empire, military force the world has ever seen. We've got muskets, we've got some torches, some rocks. But we have a belief and a dream of freedom. We believe in an ideal. We came here to create a nation that was able to have its own, each person have their own religious beliefs, their own ideas, their own way of raising their children, their own medical practices and medical decisions. And all of that right now, in this moment, in this issue, is slipping through our fingertips. And just like then as now, it looks bad on paper. Pharmaceutical industry does have a good foothold into our government. But I have to believe that our founding fathers sat in that moment and they looked at each other and said, you know what? We will never be stronger than we are right now. We will never 
be healthier than we are right now. We will never have more people with knowledge than we do right now, especially if we speak to everyone we know. Now is our time because we are surrounded. This thing isn't going to pass by. When I got involved with this and I told my dad, Dad, I'm going to work on this film with Andy Wakefield and told him about the vaccine issue, my dad said, who's a minister, by the way, said, Del, I know I've told you to always go out and tell the truth, but leave this one alone. This is a, this is a powder cake. This is dangerous. Just let it go by. I said, Dad, this isn't like a military force going by and I'm hiding in the weeds. We are surrounded, and they're coming in from all sides. And in that moment, I think the decision is easy. You stand up and fight with everything you have. You talk to everyone you know. Because like our founding fathers, we will either stand in our dream, in our belief of freedom, or we'll die on our knees. And that is not what any of us stand for. And that is not what the greatest nation in the world stands for. We are changing this. But you need to say it. And you need to say it now. Thank you. Thank you. I, I guess, am I doing a question and answer period? Is that how this works? I think I have like 20 more minutes. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's appointed uh, Robert Kennedy to be involved with vaccination safety. Do you know what his specific position is? Uh, that, as I said, did not come to fruition the way that we had seen. Um, I think Bobby, if he was here, would say that it took on a different form. He ended up having meetings like the one we went to at NIH and FDA to try and talk directly to our health administration. Um, they've been really unresponsive. So what happens next? Uh, right at the time where that was getting momentum, obviously Donald Trump has a way of finding himself in a lot of controversy. And so whether we've just sort of fallen off the map because of the apparent you know, amount of chaos and issues and whether he's coming back around, I think there's a lot of us that have a lot of hope over this announcement just over last week that Health and Human Services is creating a new department called the Civil Rights Department. And it's, it uh, involves, they keep using the word uh, religion and conscience, conscience beliefs. And so whether or not that's going to get involved with vaccines or not, I think that that's our job. And you can write in right now to Health and Human Services. They're having a review period of that, that new department. Definitely write in and tell them that you want religious and conscious beliefs to be a part of whether you decide to vaccinate or not to. Do you live in New York now? I live in Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah. My son was born at a pound and a half here 12 years ago. He was in the hospital here at Stony Brook Hospital for four months. Day one, when he was barely alive, they wanted to give him Hep B, and I totally refused. And Good. he hasn't been he hasn't been vaccinated at all ever since. Right. I've I mean, had no vaccinations for him. Think about how crazy that is. I mean, they do. Yeah. They give it to preemies. They don't care. I mean, this is where this is where I have a hard time defending doctors. You know, you have a day one old vaccine. They're supposed to be day one old. A premature baby hasn't made it to day one. They're not in their day one yet. Their body's still developing, and they still give them that vaccine, which is packed with a death load of aluminum, 
Which, by the way, so if you go to, so you can type in this text, 3322, and just write in I can, and we will send you this PowerPoint. You can do it yourself. Everything we do with my nonprofit is for free. Uh, you can also go to our website, ICanDecide.org, and we have a white paper uh, that has all this information. We also are getting into aluminum. I can't even cover aluminum, but there's tons of science really pointing to the dangers of aluminum vaccines being done all over the world. Chris Exley just did a brain study in the UK that found the highest levels of aluminum ever reported in autistic uh, people. They, he had five brains of autistic people. It was sort of the final sort of straw that we believe we would have to see in our theory about aluminum. It was off the charts. Yeah, in the back. Between the uh, seed companies that are out here, uh, that uh, bear uh, Syngenta with Novartis, uh, bear on their own Monsanto, uh, have you made a nexus between them and the vaccine actual companies that they have and uh, and also there's been some people going around saying that uh, that they're actually through these uh, chemical companies are actually vaccinating the plants that we're eating today. Well, that's true. Glyphosate actually is, a, is an antibiotic. There's things that are in these plants that do start are starting to look more and more like vaccines. Um, I haven't gotten into specifics about which company is doing what. Obviously, the Bayer-Monsanto merger is a terrifying prospect on multiple levels. You know, the, I'm not saying, look, the food industry is as corrupt as can possibly be. Also, one of my issues is the fact that environmentalists, which is where I come from, seem to be totally closed off to this discussion. In fact, Robert Kennedy Jr., who has been speaking out about this, as most of you know, is an environmentalist. I mean, he started River Keepers and, you know, probably more, he's probably started more environmental, you know, groups and watchdog groups than anyone in this country, and they are kicking him or attempting to kick him off of boards for discussing vaccines. I don't even understand how that's possible. I don't understand what the disconnect is, why you can't understand that the same chemicals we're trying to get out of our water, our rivers, our fish, our air, and our food that's being injected into our children is not problematic. It, and I think that it boils down to environmentalists somehow, and I think sort of politically, Democrats see themselves as the party of science, and then the conservatives see, you know, they're sort of called the party of religion, and you're just outrageous, and you're just coming from a religious perspective. So that's the only way I can understand why environmentalists aren't looking at this. But to the point, in, tech, in California where I live, Glyphosate, which is, is the product in, in Roundup that's sprayed on over 80% of our crops in America. It's a horrific chemical. Uh, Stephanie Senev, lots of people have done a lot of writing and talking about this. But we've now added it to our Prop 65 list. It's a carcinogen and has to be listed as such. And the FDA said they were going to investigate the food supply to see you know, how much glyphosate or if there was glyphosate in all of the different foods that we're eating, which is obviously very problematic. And then we had several people get a hold of the childhood vaccines and send them off to laboratories, and we discovered that every single child vaccine has glyphosate in it. We're injecting glyphosate straight into our children. Now, I don't know if they're connected, but moments after that discovery, the FDA said we are no longer going to test the food supply for glyphosate. Why? Same statement, because we can't figure out how to do it. This is what I'm saying. These regulatory agencies are doing us no good. Yeah. In your film, uh, Vaxxed, you uh, indicated, this is a takeaway that I took anyway, that uh, it's still okay to vaccinate your children 
for the MMR, but each one separately and at a later time. Mm. Is that a correct assumption? You know, I, I got asked that this morning in an interview I did. Um, my thinking is changing because of several studies, not specific to the MMR. The MMR vaccine probably would be a lot safer broken up, as Andy pointed out. But we are, because of these aluminum studies, now aluminum's in most of your childhood vaccines, it's just not in your live virus vaccines because it would kill the live virus. Um, but what they are discovering through Chris Exley, Chris Shaw, uh, just scientists all over the country that are really focused on this, I forget all the names at the moment, is that when we get a large dose of vaccines in our arm, the large dose of aluminum actually gets collected in the muscles called a granuloma. It grabs it and it holds on to it. Now, it may release over time, but it keeps it from rushing in and going to your brain and causing a neurological event. And what they're discovering in mice and animal studies now is that when we give lower doses of aluminum, the body doesn't constrict and doesn't grab it, and therefore it travels to the brain much easier. If that's the case, and this is all brand new stuff coming out right now, if that's the case, then people spreading out their vaccines may actually be putting their children even further harm because now it's going to go undetected straight into the brain. But I'm not making that as a statement. What I'm saying is that's where I'm on the fence now. We don't know. I don't know if it's the safest. What I can say is this, there's not a single vaccine that hasn't killed somebody. There it is. You can decide if you want to take your risk with it. Life is risk. I mean, this is what it comes down to. Raising kids is a scary thing to do. And we all do it a little bit differently. Some of us rush to doctors, others don't. Some of us use herbs. Some of us use every over-the-counter medication we can get our hands on. This is the United States of America. You are allowed to raise your kids as you see fit. I took my three-year-old and taught her to ski last weekend. I mean, she's this big. And she wanted to go on the bigger runs and the higher runs. It's like she seems to be doing okay, and we did. There are people that would say that is bad parenting. She could run into a tree. But that's how I was raised. I'm a skier. I'm a rock climber. I'm a mountain biker. Is that, are we going to make that illegal, that, that somehow the choices we make, we all have to make them together? It's ridiculous. There are risks to your child getting measles. One in a thousand, I think it's like 5,000, might actually die. But you're taking a risk with the vaccine, too. And here's what I say. If I'm going to take a risk with my kids and my family, I'm going to take that risk with nature. I'm going to let nature run its course, and I'm going to dance with nature. You know who I don't want to take my risk with? A pharmaceutical industry. I don't trust pharma. Go figure. I don't trust a hundred billion moving towards trillion dollar industry when it tells me you need these products. I know they're dangerous. I know we don't know how dangerous. I think the numbers are far higher than anything we would ever have dreamt about in our worst nightmare. But what I know is I simply am not willing to take that risk. I believe we're designed to be on this planet. I think science and religion comes together here. Whether you believe in divine design and you're perfectly created in the image and likeness of God, or you believe evolution has designed you throughout the millennia to be a perfect species, able to live with the microbes and the viruses that have always been here, either way, we are designed to be here. Why would we suddenly need 72 vaccines in order to stay alive? It just goes against reason. Right, right there.
want to start off by thanking you for the work. Um, my, my wife and I stopped vaccinating our daughter after she had a vaccine injury, mm -hmm. uh, and we came across your work. And originally, I was extremely skeptical of all of the vaccine questions. Yeah. Um, and so I've been going through a lot of this stuff and doing research on both sides. And so one thing that I wanted to follow up with you personally on is that Tucker's reanalysis had also been retracted. Yes. And they cite <clears throat> questions around the... Uh, the applicability of his statistical well, methods. Well, and I'd and like what, to use your piece and wanted to know what your thoughts are on that and well, have you respond. I mean, one of the major problems they had with Hooker's reanalysis was his sample size wasn't big enough. They said your sample size isn't big enough to come to the conclusions you have, and they were, he was using the same sample size that this original study was using. Now, you know, I haven't gotten all the details, and I would be happy to have Brian Hooker onto my show. So if you want to watch Highwire on Thursdays, go on Facebook or anywhere, at Highwire Talk. Um, I'll ask him that exact question, because I haven't gotten into the full details of why it was attracted. But essentially, every single study, this is, well, l let me not overstate it, I'm a journalist. Many, many studies that speak out or find problems with the vaccine program get retracted. And we don't know why. In fact, I think it's really interesting that when we see studies all around the world with aluminum or any issue, or France saw that the, the hepatitis B vaccine could cause multiple sclerosis, in America, we have a 100% track record of debunking every one of those studies. How's that mathematically possible? How is it possible that we're always right that it wasn't the vaccine? And what I have is that this is my issue with it. When we think about safety testing, we think about analysis, right? Would you want your crash test being done by Ford Motor Company? Do you want the makers of the car sitting there and deciding whether they thought that crash test went well or not? You want skepticism in science. Science is supposed to be done under a skeptical eye. And I can't find any scientist in this nation right now that doesn't think that vaccines are the greatest invention of the 20th century. That's who's doing our science. So are they doing it with blinders on? One would think so. In fact, when Trump did announce that Bobby Kennedy was going to head the Vaccine Safety Commission, every major news outlet said this would be catastrophic. This guy would be, you know, dangerous to the vaccine program. And, I'm, and I said, why? Because you think he might, that he's biased, that he's a bias against vaccines? They're like, right. Okay, so then you're saying that a bias would affect vaccine safety studies. Yes. Good. We totally agree. I hope that answers your question. Well, I'm sorry, I just wanted to follow up because I think this is very useful and I'd yeah. like to use the vaxxed sort of yeah. uh, documentary with my family and to convince other people and sort of spread the word about things, but I sort of feel uncomfortable without sort of understanding Hooker's okay. response to this. And like they specifically say that they, he mixed up the ANOVA and chi-squared in his statistical analyses, which then would make his you're results okay. invalid. I have, you're deeper into that. And so I think that would be I, very helpful I'll if you look could have it. a response and would love to see that so that we could use this. Very well. I'll look into that. Yeah, just follow me. I, I will make sure to get into those details. Yeah. In fact, I feel like calling him right now. I'm just like, Brian. Like, I, that's what's going on in my mind. Like, Brian, you there? Should I do it? Should we call Brian? Hold on. Hello? This is how this works. Hold on one second. Let me go ahead and see if we got Brian on the phone. This, this is how this works. Journalism in action.
Do we have a microphone in case he does answer? Yeah, let's see if he answers. Mm. No, sorry, but <laughs> I'll get on it. All right, very good. <laughs> yes, and back. Yes, uh, it seems to me now, from what I've been hearing, what I've been reading, that vaccines now are pretty much where the cigarettes were in the 1960s. In other words, you think it's healthy, and we know where that went. The other thing is that it almost seems like a religion. In other words, everybody hmm. has to do this to the point where if you don't, you're labeled a heretic, you're danger. Yeah. Schools are kicking kids out of their schools yeah, it's for style. exercising their constitutional right okay. to refuse. They're just kicking these kids out. Yeah. And in, in addition, the statistics for autism, it was one in 65, now one in 32, and now you're telling us it's one, it could be one in two in the future. So is there, is there gonna be some point that you feel will be a tipping point where more Americans will just say, no, 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 we don't want this anymore. In other words, eventually everyone's gonna know somebody else that has a problem, and at some point, there's gonna have to be some kind of a connection made. Forget what the government says, you know, we know they're lying. But people with their own intelligence are going to make some kind of a connection. Also, when you have, you know, taking care of these people, these unfortunate cases when they're older, is, is, is a lot of money, time, and effort. So it could also cause a problem in society. And what, what parent wants to be the one to, to watch a healthy kid deteriorate? What could be more emotionally devastating than a parent watching their child go down the drain in front of their own eyes? So is there, do you feel that the that there will be some kind of a tipping point where many more people will just say, no, we don't want this anymore. Because once you have a large yes. number of people that well, say... It is, it is, I mean, look, it is happening. You know, how fast is it going to happen? I don't know. And how bad does it have to get? One of the things that I say is people will say, you know, you're attacking pediatricians, you're attacking doctors. You know, they, they, they are looking at the CDC. They know what they're doing. Or they, went, they have an education. They, they're smarter than you. They let them do their job. I say, look at OxyContin. If I'm to take that exact principle, then we should be blaming every doctor for being drug pushers because they've created one of the greatest drug addiction issues this world has ever seen. Our insurance companies are being bankrupted by it. Our rehab centers are being filled by it. Why? Because doctors knowingly prescribed an addictive medication that destroyed lives? No. I don't believe that because doctors are too busy to investigate something themselves. So when they go to the CDC website and it says OxyContin is safe, it's not addictive, they repeat that to their customers and that's the way they go. When the FDA says OxyContin is fine, in fact, they announced last year it's even fine for 10-year-olds. Let's start giving 10-year-olds OxyContin. Do you remember that? Doctors repeat that because doctors are diabolical. No, they are too busy to do what I've done. They're too busy to say, if you're saying it's safe, let me see the study that came to that, that brought to that conclusion. Let me read all 800 pages so we can get to the bottom of it. I don't want to just look at the conclusion. And that's what's happening. Doctors don't know. They're simply repeating what they're told. Why? Because it's a religion. It's a religion of science. Science, when it says... You cannot question it, which is what they say. The science is settled. 
That is the least scientific statement you could ever possibly make. Any decent scientist knows you never stop asking questions, ever. There's always something new to discover. We might be wrong. To have the arrogance we now have in our scientific body saying you are not even allowed to ask questions. And I think these are pretty credible questions, don't you? I don't think I'm shooting in the dark here. These are very important questions. And by the way, I've given this talk all over the country. I sit on my show, High Wire, every week, and I make these statements, and no one has provided me with a double-blind inert placebo study yet. And then NIH couldn't do it. People say, here's one, and then you read it, and it's not. How is that possible? So why is that not bothering the person that's fighting me, saying, how is it that no one has been able to challenge Dell or all the people around me? We are living on faith. We are living on faith. Our vaccine program is a religion. When you think about, you know, someone might think, I'm creating the image and likeness of God. Or what is the first commandment in the Bible, in the Koran, in, you know, in, in Judaism? It's thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? Could that be greed? Do we put money before God? Sure, we do. Is it possible we're putting doctors and science before God? We are being mandated to do that. I am being forced to have faith that a multi-billion dollar industry is adding vaccines to my childhood schedule to make my child safe, not to make more money. I am being forced to have faith that the CDC is doing the proper safety studies since liability has been taken away from the manufacturers. I am forced to have faith that my pediatrician and my doctor are investigating beyond what the CDC says on the front page of their website and looking and investigating the studies and reading them themselves. I have to have faith. And I have to have faith that autism now, one in 36 children up from one in 10,000 30 years ago, is not being caused by vaccines. I have to have faith that a rise from 11% autoimmune disease to 54% of America's children is not being caused by vaccines. And when we talk about faith like that, I say I have a freedom of religion, and I do not believe in your religion, period. Yeah. I want to address your point. I want to address it this way. I'm not a scientist, okay? I'm a journalist. And so the way that I've looked at this story is in how the people, how the players move and what they do. The specifics on cosines and math and what's happening inside of the study is not where I'm focused. Here's what I know about the MMR study. Whether or not Brian Hooker reevaluated that study correctly or not, it doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is a couple of simple questions. When people say vax does not prove vaccines cause autism, okay, I agree. I agree with that statement. Our film does not prove the MMR vaccine causes autism. Our movie proves, I hope, that five scientists did a study that they believed saw that the MMR was causing autism, and they committed a scientific fraud. And that scientific fraud was after they had an analysis plan that was locked. That is the law by which all science is done. They had locked their analysis plan saying, we're going to look at this 3,000 kids. We're going to look from you know, these different categories. We're going to look for these certain issues, and we're going to report them to the public. They didn't do that. 
Instead, midstream, they started changing age groups. Let's make early vaccination, instead of 12 to 18 months, why don't we try three to 17 months? And let's make mid, and they all started manipulating. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to manipulate and change your categories after you locked your categories. That's why you locked an analysis plan. And what they definitely can't do is kick half the kids off the study, which they did do. They took 3,000 kids and dropped it down to 1,800 kids to try and lower the rate of autism, which they effectively did. It was still higher, but what they say now is it was statistically insignificant. It was statistically insignificant because you no longer had enough children in the study. That's fraud. That's, what I, that's law. That's how I care about this. Now, what that study would have shown, would it have proved autism is caused by vaccines? Probably not. In fact, Thompson says himself, the only thing that should have happened is we should have done more studies based on what we were seeing. That's, he's like, I don't think this study would have proved either the way. In fact, many people say it's a terrible study in its design from the beginning. But what it should have done is set off red flags that make scientists, real scientists go, let's look into that. You've watched it happen right before your eyes again this year. They just did it again. A CDC scientist did a study looking at does the flu vaccine in pregnant women cause miscarriage? And if you were watching NBC and all of our major news agencies, they had to report on it because it wasn't a Mawson study of homeschoolers. This was tens of thousands, there was even 100,000 people in this study done by a CDC scientist. And he found that if the pregnant mother received the flu vaccine in the first trimester, a second time, she'd had it the year before, and she got her second flu shot in the first trimester, there was an up to seven-fold increase in miscarriage of that baby. And they said it on NBC, and what did NBC say? The medical specialist came on and said, it's true, this study is alarming, but we are doing a longer-term study that should be available in 2019. And until then, we are still recommending that you get a flu shot during pregnancy. Those, that's how I follow this story. I follow what doesn't make sense. How the math, how they came up with, all I know is a CDC scientist saw a miscarriage and they had to report on it. All I know is Thompson's still working there and he has provided 10,000 documents to scientists that are saying, we have a problem here. And what I know is a fraud and nobody, nobody has debunked the fraud. In fact, if they try to say, what they will try to say is there was confounding issues with those kids or there was an anomaly that we had to deal with. In fact, at the end of their paper, they said we looked at all the confounding issues that there could have been. Welcome to the Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. I'm your host, Miguel. I like to cover topics from ancient history, great leaders and generals from the past, and I also like to talk about self-realization, truth, critical thinking, and strategic spirituality. Outside the box, nonconformist. I'm here to shatter the myths of the mainstream media and the beta sheeple narrative. Welcome to the Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. My email address is alphamalebuddhist at gmail.com. My website is alphamalebuddhist.podbean.com and my subreddit is reddit.com forward slash r forward slash 
alpha male Buddhist. That's my subreddit where you can uh, comment and interact with other listeners. And it's a great forum to sit and have an open dialogue. So again, thank you for listening and namaste.